every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This is a special two-part episode featuring the uncuttable budget items from every CMO and marketing leader who's appeared on Demand Gen Visionaries this year. We want to thank you all for joining us on this journey, and we wish you a happy, healthy, and successful 2021. Before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this special episode of Demand Gen Visionaries with your host, Ian Faison. Hey, this is Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and your host of Demand Gen Visionaries. This is part two of the Uncuttable Budget Item series. If you missed the first one, you can check out the previous episode. If you already heard that one, let's get on to part two. Enjoy. Melton Littlepage. Melton is the Vice President of Marketing at Tenable. So the digital buyer experience on the website, absolutely not cuttable. Uh, and, and it needs to be invested in, invested for search engine optimization so that we are synonymous with the problems that we solve and, uh, and the, the solutions and the category we're in. We also invest a lot in conversion rate optimization. It's little things that you, you iron out in the buyer's journey that make a big difference between someone not getting it and dropping out or getting it and, and staying with it. And so that's number one for sure. The website, SEO, conversion rate optimization, 100%. The second are our free trials. You know, in the, the SaaS world, free, uh, hands-on exposure to our tools and, and having a customer you know, earn value before they've ever paid for it, gone through the pain of a contract or received an invoice, that is, that's really essential. And, and free trials for us, we try to make as close to a, a POC as we can. We try to support them through you know, live opportunities to talk with our engineers uh, to make sure that you know, we're fully up and configured. We offer to nurture people along the way and coach and develop them. And, and the more that you know, any organization can coach someone through a free trial versus just turn them loose and hope that they get it, it, it makes all the difference. Because the point of the trial is not to prove that you can create a login. The, the point of the trial is to demonstrate that you can solve the problem or that you have the potential to solve the problem in a way that will work in the customer's environment. So that is absolutely essential. And then search engine marketing, if, if I had to cut my budget all the way back to the bone, the last thing I would cut would be search engine marketing. Search engine marketing is offensive and defensive. It allows us to put our brand in the context that we want our brand to be seen in and on the pulse of what people are doing and searching for on a day in and day out basis. It is a competitive tool. It allows us to tell our story and it forces us to tell our story in very few words in a very compelling way. And it allows us to capture interest in the market. So if someone is doing a search on a, a problem or a need, we can be there and we can guide them into our buyer experience. If someone is searching, doing a more general search, then we can be there and tell our brand story uh, and out position our competition 
and it matters. People like turn to search uh, more than they turn to any other source. And so those are the tried and true tactics. If, if there was you know, more room, uh, I would... I'll give you some more room. You can go for it. Yeah, so if there's more room, I think being really relevant, having really relevant content visible in third-party sites is really important. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I think that a lot of organizations don't do it well, but when you do it well, you can really draw a lot of attention to how you how you affect the lives, in our case, how you improve the security of organizations, you can draw engagement. Like in, it, It's trusted engagement and, and people feel like they're in control as they go through the experience. But I think that in terms of reaching a target buyer and telling your story your way and then drawing people into a conversation, that's a, a fantastic tool to have in the arsenal. Chandar Patabiram, CMO of Coupa. It's interesting. In today's world, I think that's kind of changed. Six months ago, I would have said, it depends on the stage of the funnel, I would have said our physical events tend to be really good for deal acceleration. Not necessarily for awareness building, but, in, but like our physical events tend to be really, really good for getting prospects to talk to our best sellers, which are our customers, not our salespeople, <laughs> and having the natural hallway conversations and having the natural interactions. And those tend to be great deal acceleration events for us, right? So I would have said that is very important for me from a deal acceleration perspective. In today's world, that's changed, right? So the way I would look at it is, um, so first of all, some of the aspects of plays for me is very targeted, what I say, digital, digital targeting for my target accounts and personas in that. Not necessarily less of a shotgun approach, more of a rifle approach. If I say that here are my 450 accounts I want to go after, in my financial services segment, making sure that I have the dollars available to drive awareness as well as moving them down the funnel with some very educational marketing content is very important for me. And I think that can be a really good asset for us as we do that, right? The second thing is something that we call circles. And what we have done is is something very different. A lot of these people, a lot of marketers today are running these virtual events and claiming victory in engine room metrics or vanity metrics, right? I got 10,000 people to register. I got 10,000 people to register. I got 8,000 people to, you know, download something. But that doesn't really move deals forward as much as build some awareness to some extent. So instead of spending $100 on running a big virtual event for two days for 10,000 people and getting some vanity metrics, what if I spend those $100 in running the one to few circles, like the Google circle idea, like get eight prospects and four customers into a wine tasting room and virtually and get them engaged and have those conversations you get out of the way and create those natural hallway conversations that you've had in a more targeted way in a one-to-few manner. So rather than spending $100 on a one-to-many virtual event, I would much rather spend that $100 on these 10 circles that I can go engage. So that's been a shift that's been very important for me in the spirit of deal acceleration, right? So go write a whole, we can talk a whole segment on it. So going back to targeted digital marketing as one, Going back, the second in my playbook is running these circles, the one to few circles that is important from that perspective. And then for me, the other piece that helps us is also content syndication, which has been successful for us. And we continue to invest in those areas with the idea that in the middle of the funnel, you have to earn the right to engage. And educational marketing can be a great asset for you to earn the right to engage and move those forward. And that's the philosophy that we have adopted both at Marketo and here at Cooper. Udi Lettergore, CMO of Gong. The three channels that I could not live without are our LinkedIn page, which I'm happy to dive into, our email list, 
and our virtual events slash webinars because they're not the same thing. LinkedIn, and here I have to preface with a sort of disclaimer, you know, when I came into Gong four years ago, I had no idea where our audience is going to be. I didn't know if they're going to be on social media at all. When I worked for other companies, my audience was not on social media. Once I suspected they're on social media, I didn't know if they're going to be on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or somewhere else. It took some trial and testing until we found that our audience of sales leaders really lives on LinkedIn. They always have the tab open and they have the apps on their phone. They're looking for their next deal, their next hire, their next job, their next partnership, and lots of content to educate and entertain them on LinkedIn. Once we figured that out, we focused a lot of our efforts on creating content and engagement that really work on LinkedIn. And we do that both from our own people's profiles. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Many of my team members are very active on LinkedIn. Many of our larger team members at Gong are active on LinkedIn. We have SDRs that have built a huge brand and following on LinkedIn without even belonging to the marketing team. So that's been part of it. And the other part has been building a brand page, the Gong brand page that really engages lots of people. We're now at like 42,000 followers on our LinkedIn page, which is not bad at all for a relatively young startup at Gong stage. And all of those are organic. We're never interested in going out there and buying followers or, or getting folks on a click farm. This is all organic folks that saw really interesting content on our page and either saw one of their friends liking or commenting on it or have got tagged themselves, which happens a lot. When people read articles on our page, they often tag other salespeople like, hey, this is what I was telling you all this time. And hey, Michelle, you've got to come check this out. So that's how they, they are exposed to our page. And then they decide to follow us for more content. So they're looking forward to reading our content every day. And here's a big secret. This is my cheapest demand gen channel because we get a ton of engagement when we post a good article on LinkedIn and then link from that to a download of a premium content piece that asks for people's email. We can get thousands of downloads in a day and that doesn't cost me a dime. This is completely organic. That's why I love this channel. I know that the people are there because they want to be. I'm not chasing them. They're coming to us when they're ready to consume that content. And yeah, I could not live without that channel. It's very different for every industry. You've got to look and first show up where your folks are because it's way easier to show up and start talking where they are already than trying to pull them to your owned assets, right? If you want to bring them to your blog or to your events or your webinar, it's going to be very hard to do on day one. You're going to have to build that inbound motion to bring them in. Our email list, it's kind of a similar story, but obviously also takes time to build. So we have a completely opt-in list of emails of people who have consumed our content and given us their email because say they saw a open article on LinkedIn and then they wanted to download the template or cheat sheet or something else or sign up for a webinar that follows up on the same content. And then they gave us their email. Now they are willing to receive our marketing communications. And uh, that's a huge email list of highly targeted people that I know a lot about. You know, I can enrich that information with a variety of systems that you have today. So I know what company size they work for and what exact industry and what geolocation and what seniority they're at and what job title they are, et cetera, et cetera. And I know the history of their previous interactions with my content. And we use that to send out various versions of emails that are tailored to different reader personas. So even some assets I'll only send out to VPs and above. Other assets I'll send to individual contributors or I'll send the same asset, but with a different type of email appealing to the what's in it for me for 
for that specific reader persona. So email list is huge. And again, similar to organic social media, the cost is close to nothing. It's all about creating the right content, sending it to the right people at the right time. There's not a lot of costs involved around that, just some hard thinking. I mean, there's no getting around getting the right people with the right strategy and then the right execution to create amazing, engaging content. If you want, I'm happy to dwell on that point a little bit on how we create that content. But obviously, you're not going to get very far even with the best email list and even with the best social media following. If you're creating trivial content that anyone could Google and find something comparable, then just why waste their time? I'll start high level and I'll pause every level and see how how much deeper you want me to go. So I think at the highest level, when you want to create a successful content machine, there are three basic elements. One is the strategy around the content. Two is the packaging of the content. And three is distribution. And I think in the last 10 minutes, we've talked mostly about the third part of distribution. I talked about our email list and our social media following. Let's talk about the content strategy. So good content in my book needs to meet three conditions to be really successful. One, it needs to be relevant to the target audience. Two, it needs to be interesting to that audience. And three, it needs to be immediately applicable. Let let me unpack that for a sec. So by relevant, I mean, if I'm writing how to make better cold calls, that might be interesting for AEs. It's not going to be interesting for the VP sales or the CRO because she's not making cold calls anymore. So you've got to focus on who are you trying to attract and why is this content relevant for them? And we try and make that relevancy self-apparent, whether you know we subtly put the buyer persona of that content in the title of the content or some other trickery sometimes to make sure that they know that this is for them. Because if I, if I don't think this was written for me, I'm going to keep scrolling. I'm going to delete that email. So number one is relevancy, obviously. And that's why I said that we also package differently for different personas, even if it might be the same underlying piece of content. Two is interesting. So why should I care now? This should be something, this piece of content should be something that either I'm terribly interested in knowing today, it has some sense of urgency about it. The best types of content helps me solve a problem that I currently have and makes my day easier. So if someone sends me a template for running my one-on-one sales reviews, and that's something that I do five times a week, and this template can shave off 20% of the time it takes you to do that, that's probably going to be a useful template. Here's a real life example from a couple of months ago when um, you know this new economy started. We noticed that a lot of small deals that we used to close directly with sales leaders were now getting their CFOs involved. We figured that our customers are probably going through something similar and now they're talking to a lot more CFOs than they ever used to. So we quickly pulled together a template of how to get through your buyer's CFO. And within days, that content asset rose to the top of the charts of our most downloaded content ever because thousands of salespeople we're downloading that piece of content. Oh my God, yes, I'm having this problem three times a day now trying to get through the CFO. Thank you, Gong, for giving me this cheat sheet with what I can do to get through that CFO. So that's, that's a great example of why the content is interesting. I think the biggest mistake that brands make here is that they start with what they want to say rather than what their prospects or customers want to hear. And what do they want to consume? And so by starting from the customer side and then working back to how can you give them what they want in a way that also serves your brand in many cases, that's the right way to do it. So that's the interesting part. And then I'll I'll end with the third bit that I mentioned, which is making it immediately applicable. So I'd say 99% of our content takes less than five minutes to consume. There are a few exceptions like the odd analyst paper for enterprise buyers or uh, a podcast episode that might be 25 minutes long. But the vast majority of our content, the articles, the emails, the social media posts, the 
ebooks. They're literally a five minute or less read. And we found that with today's attention span of especially busy executives that we're trying to sell to, that type of content is hugely popular. If you're going to create a 40 page ebook like we did 10 years ago in content marketing, the only ones likely to read that are your competitors. I've found, you know, as the years go by, that there are fewer and fewer cases where I can justify creating that 20 or 40 page white paper. Honestly, like in the four years of Gong, I think we've created one of those for a very specific use case. The days where we could plan six months ahead for a content project are long gone. I mean, we had to dump so many content projects that were just, uh, you know, a few weeks in the making when COVID started and we realized that we had to completely rethink our publishing calendar. We rolled out new content within days, not weeks, not months, but days. We threw together our first amazing virtual event in two weeks. We just don't have the luxury of planning six or 12 months ahead for content calendars. And I think it's a joke if someone can plan ahead now a year ahead their content calendar in this fast moving market. I mean, either your content is stale or it's just completely detached from what's going on in the market. How could you plan for this quarter six months ago? What plans could you have made six months ago that would be remotely relevant to your audience right now? You had no idea back then what they would be going through right now. So you have to be a lot more agile than in the past to keep up. And and companies that are keeping up, that are producing timely content that is answering real-time questions and solving problems quickly, those are moving quickly ahead. The others are, are way behind. Okay, third, uncuttable. That would be our virtual events and webinars. Yeah, so... That is the the one exception I'll allow to the immediately applicable content. They're still immediately applicable. They just take longer to consume. So where I said that about 90% of our contents takes five minutes or less to consume, webinars and events can be anything from, you know, 25 to 55 minutes. Actually, our full day virtual events, we've done two of them in the last three months. They were eight hours long and we had thousands of people attend them and safe throughout the day. And we, we were amazed. We're, we, we were skeptical in the beginning that they would show up and stay for that long. But we managed to completely reinvent this format, a virtual event. It is not a long webinar. It is not just taking our field event content, recording it and streaming it for eight hours. It is creating this new beast that melts together education, entertainment, product updates, celebrity speakers, really fun and engaging and interactive activities. And and we created this new experience that people are coming up, they're showing up and they're staying and they, they walk away with lots and lots of takeaways. And we see those events and webinars creating a lot of opportunities opportunities for us because once you've got someone engaging with your content for 45 minutes, let alone for five or six hours, they're showing some real buying signals. And if you tap into them in the right way at the right time, you're going to be able to move those opportunities much faster than someone who just scrolled through a social post. Heidi Malin, CMO of Workfront. Here's what I'm going to start with. My answer would have probably been completely different pre-March of 2020. When I think about an enterprise buying cycle, and we touched on earlier the fact that that tends to be a team-based or committee-based decision, and it's not based on us engaging one time with one person on that team, it's generally a series of interactions over the course of time, and those interactions build to a final outcome but it's not one thing. So what's your, you know, I have folks ask me all the time, what's the best channel? What channel should we put all our eggs in in order to be the most successful? And the answer is there is no one secret channel, but it is a mix. 
prior to March of 2020, our mix included both digital as well as in-person engagement through large-scale events, trade shows, conferences, programs like that, field marketing events as an example. Our mix included both. And all of a sudden, March of 2020 rolls along and in-person events become something that not only are we not going to be doing, but we actually are prohibited from doing given the COVID situation. And so when I think about what are the things that I would never cut out, content. Content is king. The content that we develop drives all of our channels and is the most important asset that we invest in. I would say the next area that would be uncuttable, so to speak, would be our digital programs today. That is an area where over the course of the last 12 months, we've had to improve significantly. But over the last five months, we've had to really rethink how our digital marketing programs go because we're trying to make up for demand that we would have created through investment in sponsorships, large-scale events, and conferences in a different way. So being able to pivot our large-scale customer event to a virtual setting required a new set of muscles and a new approach. And those are things that we had to learn on the fly, and we had to do it very quickly. And for me, the good news is, is that the outcome that we're going for is the same. However, the mix changed pretty dramatically. And that's one of the struggles I think many B2B companies have today is those companies that were able to pivot quickly and to offset the loss of in-person type programs for enterprise software. Those companies are the ones that are thriving today. Jamie Grenny, CMO of Own Backup. I'd have to start with the App Exchange Marketing Program. You know, given our focus on the Salesforce ecosystem, it's, it's the right audience and they've got the right programs to, to, to reach folks, particularly when, when the events machine is rolling. You know, when you had the Salesforce World Tours going, you had the ability to get into, you know, cities across the country and around the world. And, and that's really powerful for us. You know, when we know that everybody we're going to go meet at that event is a potential fit for our product, it's a terrific one. You know, the second one I would say is, is around conversational marketing. And, you know, the reason I put that one up there, this could be like a drift or a qualified, it's uncuttable because I think it's the future of how we engage our, our prospects and customers. It's less about forms and more about getting them to the right person who can help. It's about improving the quality of conversation, you know, that, that you have with your brand. And it's about making sure that you make the connection in real time. Like the idea that someone fills out a form and you spend the next two weeks trying to follow up with them. Like that's off. So I would say that conversational marketing is, is uh, something that we are investing in in a big way. So the third uncuttable budget item I would have to say is video. You know, I've been a huge proponent of video for many, many years because I think it delivers that clear and concise message in a format that's, that's really easy to share. And I'm also a proponent of, of making sure that that video gets up onto YouTube. YouTube's the second biggest search engine on the web, so you want to be there. But it's also when someone receives that YouTube link, there's something that's just not threatening about it. It's the type of thing that you would pass around inside your organization to, to advocate for a product and to help people understand what it's capable of. So those would be the three, three uncuttable budget items. Adam Blitzer, Executive Vice President and General Manager of Digital at Salesforce. 
historically, there's never been a single source of truth for marketing. The truth has sort of always lived a little bit in each of these different solutions. And so what do I mean by a single source of truth? You know, that's basically one place to sort of have a golden record for your customer. And there's been a single source of truth in many other areas, right? There's a single source of truth in sales, right? That's Salesforce. You know, our customers often use the phrase, if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen. You know, there's a single source of truth in HR, right? Many companies use Workday. That's sort of their master record. Lots of other things might hang off of that, but that's the single source of truth. Atlassian might be the, you know, Jira might be the single source of truth for software development and things sort of hang off of it. Marketing has never had that with like an anchor tenant application. It's, you know, it's always been sort of about the individual channels and it makes it really, really difficult to create a cohesive customer journey that's really multi-channel, really personalized. You know, because everything sort of lives at the fringes, a little bit lives in each individual piece, your customer might see one offer, you know, when they're on their mobile, they might see another offer when they're in your, your app, another when they're on their website. And it's just because all these different solutions are using slightly different algorithms. They're using slightly different pieces of the data. No one of them has a complete picture of you. So when I look at that trend, it tells me that we're on the right track with our efforts around building a single source of truth for marketers. You might hear you know, this referred to as a CDP, a customer data platform. Our flavor of that is customer 360 audiences. But we really believe that the customer data platform is the battleground in marketing for the next five years. Right? With this proliferation of MarTech and the average marketer using 10 to 20 different pieces of MarTech in their stack, you have got to be at the center of it. Right? If you think about chess, like the strategy typically is controlling the center of the board. The way you can do that in this world where MarTech has become so diffuse is you can control the data, you can control the workflow, you can control the content, or you can control the analytics or all four of those. And we think the most foundational of those four pieces is data. And that's really what we want to help our customers with. So I think, um, you know, the first play, I uh, would just go back to what I was talking about of the website of one. One thing I see, though, with websites that companies don't do enough, that's actually not that hard, is they don't create a, uh, you know, essentially a, an audience of one, right? Every time someone visits the website, they should have their own unique experience, right? Based on what the system knows about them. And it could be something as simple as like, it knows I'm from a tech company when I visit the website. And it should just show me, and it may, it may maybe it's the same content, but it's just completely reordered. Right. So all the case studies in the client section that sort of float to the top are going to be companies that I've likely heard about. Or it knows I'm from an SMB instead of an enterprise. And so it kind of rearranges things. Those things are not very difficult to do, but it just takes thinking about your website differently. Like thinking about it as kind of this living dynamic entity where you don't need uniformity. It's okay for it to seem different to every single person that visits. Uh, and again, everything is measurable. So if it's not working, you'll know right away. Michael King, Senior Director of Cloud Marketing at VMware. Uncuttable budget items. Uh, let's see, three. Um, you know, again, dependent on service. Because I, I'm a big believer in that your channels reflect your audiences. But, you know, I think that, you know, you can never go wrong with, I'll call them minus one communities. So these are the watering holes in which your customers kind of live and breathe, where they 
where they're working hard to um, either understand software, connect with their peers, other places like that. You got you got to learn those immediately. That's that's one that's uncuttable. You can't you can't not participate in those. Number two, open source open source software. If you're selling to or working with developers, know your open source communities. Spend time in your open source communities. Participate in them. Too often, big software companies come into open source communities and, and you know kind of knock things over and break windows and and just you know don't play a, a good community citizen. And I think that, you know, being a good community citizen means that you have people that are focused on contributing and participating in an open source community. I think those, those that's two. Third one, I, you know, this may sound a little old school, but I am a huge fan of blogs. I think blogs, in terms of a strong, consistent, repetitive point of contact with a customer, I think they can provide tremendous value, particularly if because it's an ongoing conversation. A lot of content marketing, you know, hey, here's a white paper or the top 10 things you need to do this or XXX. And that's a great one touch kind of get some people in the funnel. And that that's interesting. But for me, I'm thinking more about what are the 10 blog posts that I'm going to write this quarter that I'm going to socially promote, that I'm going to get people to repost, that I'm going to get people to hype that I'm going to include on the back on the back of webinars that people are going to engage in repeatedly. And now here's something kind of interesting that we found is if someone lands on a blog post and from a link on that blog post goes to our site, they are three times more likely to convert than if they've come from anywhere else. So for me, I'm a big fan of, of, of blogs as a way to support a continual conversation with a customer and also to drive conversion. When you say blogs, do you mean your own blogs? Do you mean other people's blogs? Do you mean both? I mean both, yeah. And, and, and again, dependent upon audience, um, that, right? There's two, ways, there's two ways you can do this. You can either bring the horse to water or you can bring water to the horse, right? And, uh, you know, my feeling is you meet your customers where they are. And, and, and again, when you build a strong enough affinity and you build a loyalty within your your prospect customer base, they'll they'll find you for sure, and they'll they'll go to your blog. But when you're just starting off on something, you kind of got to meet them where they are. Lauren Vaccarello, CMO of Talent. The website and our digital spend will always be protected. Invest in the website for a thousand different reasons. It is the face of your company to every single customer, prospect, potential employee, press investor everybody don't skimp on your website it is the thing that pays dividends it is the thing that pays more than you think it is paying even from a direct roi perspective so always 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 invest there what's going to make or break every single demand gen person in the foreseeable future is your ability to adapt and agility if you can't move quickly the world is moving far 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 too fast right now you have to be able to move quickly. And if you are on old technology and an old stack and you have to log a ticket to update a page on your website and it takes three weeks, you're dead in the water. So invest in the back end. Invest in the unsexy things that no one sees and doesn't understand why you're doing it because it's those back end unsexy tech infrastructure things that make everything else you do faster and easier. Our job as leaders is to remove every blocker and every obstacle. 
and to give the people that work for us the ability to be creative, not to go, oh, shoot, I got to deal with what? Where I'm going to say that's protected right now, just because it's been so top of mind right now, is um, our executive programs and executive engagement. It's something we're investing in in the future. And it is something I believe in. We are a B2B company that has a large enterprise business. And a lot of our customers are big companies with decent deal sizes. We have to have to have to have that for long-term growth. We have to have it. We have to put dollars and resources to it. So I will say, and it's funny as the digital marketer and the person that's always been really data-driven where I'm saying, I mean, you can't cut the thing that doesn't have that direct dollar attribution. It's going to influence, but it's not going to source. So for me, that is very, very, very much protected right now. Another thing that I won't let anybody cut, I'm going to do the controversial one. And say like, yes, invest in the web and infrastructure because that'll pay dividends. Invest in executive programs. And the thing to, especially as you scale to invest in, which is a weird thing because I'm going through budget exercises right now, I won't cut PR. I cannot ascribe a dollar return to my PR program. But what I've seen in the past is the anecdotal qualitative that just proves that it works because... I remember I ran marketing at a company called Adroll. Uh, Adroll. It was earlier days there, and hiring engineers in the Bay Area is really hard. And we're hiring engineers, and I join, and I'm early, early marketing leader. We only have a couple of people in marketing, and I happen to hire a PR person, and it happened to be the first hire that I have. And she's fantastic, and she's getting us a bunch of press, and we're getting a ton of press, and it's the only thing that's different. And then all of a sudden, I remember sitting in an ELT in an exec team meeting and our head of engineering goes, I don't know what's going on. We keep getting all of these really good candidates for engineers and we're, our applications for engineers and inbound applications are way up. More people are responding. We're just getting better engineering candidates right now. I don't know what's different. I was like, Valentina, we're in the press constantly right now about what we're doing from an end side, about how the company, about best places to work, about our growth. We're in the media constantly. He's like, that's not it. But something happened that we're suddenly getting more better engineering candidates. I was like, this is the only thing that's different that we've done. And all of a sudden, a good PR program gets you better employees. And if I can get better engineers and increase my velocity of output, it is a lot easier for me to run demand. And that's just on the hiring side. I did the same thing when we, um, when I also was with Adroll and we were launching our European headquarters and our Asia Pacific headquarters, we had a big press launch around it and a big press campaign. We ended up getting a ton of candidates off of that and a ton of interest and demand saying, who are these people? They're coming in and just kept that steady drumbeat of PR. And it wasn't intentional. It just, we happened to hire these roles faster than we hired demand gen. And it ended up providing a really solid halo effect on all of our demand gen programs. And it's, you were never going to say, I spent a dollar on PR and this is what it's doing. But I've seen it enough times where when you really lean into PR and you've got a stellar PR program, all boats rise, you're going to get better candidates, better employees, faster velocity. Your employees are going to be more engaged because it's fun to work at the cool company and you want to do more to work at the cool company. Jen Demas, CMO of Gigster. 
I thought about this before we were speaking and I've just been in so many different situations in my life when cuts are necessary. <laughs> so I don't know that there's a cuttable thing. I think, again, I think you have to, you have to adjust to the current situation, to the requirements of the business in the moment. There are a lot of things I would prefer never to live without. And if I think about them, you know, from a, a team perspective, I always want to have tight alignment with sales leadership. So that relationship being strong and in place is not negotiable for me. So there's one uncuttable thing, right? My constant connection, accountability, transparency, and strong relationship with a selling org. That's something that I don't feel is like on the table. It, it can't, if that's out, it needs to be fixed. So that's one thing. I know that's probably not a traditional answer for you, but for me, it, like I said, it's not negotiable. So it's, it's a relationship that needs to be cultivated, constantly fed. And the way that it is cultivated is through constant communication. So very, very frequent. I know there's always a conversation about how many times a week should you meet with these people? You know, I, I'm, in, I'm in constant conversation with sales leadership. And we have very many shared meetings every single week so that we stay aligned. Um, common measurements are really important. And that, I mean, if you want to get down to the, like, you can't live without a transactional selling system, right? You have to have that. And for the last bunch of years, it's always been Salesforce for me. I know there, there are others, but that's the one with which I'm most familiar. I always have to have a marketing automation solution. I've used um, Eloqua and Marketo. I know there are also others that come in at different price points and that's an important thing. So I don't think those things are things that you can live without very easily and conduct good growth business. Obviously your website is your always on front door and salesperson and that needs to reflect your corporate positioning. Your, you know, what is your value to prospects and customers? But it also needs to engage folks from a demand perspective and it needs to speak to investors and potential employees and all that. So very, very important. Those are the three, like you can't really not have those things. Kyle Christensen, Vice President of Marketing at Zora. I'd say one is we kind of just touched on it's the investment that we make in content. And so we have on staff you know, not, not your classic content marketer resume, but we've gone out and we've hired people with journalism backgrounds who are really just proficient at capturing the essence of some of these stories uh, as one example of content investment. Other examples would be we have a, a chief data scientist at Zora, and his job is to plow through our platform and derive insights that we could package up into content that we use to create initial interest. So I think, I think that's one massive thing that's core to our brand and the tip of the spear with our demand is purposeful investment in, in meaningful, interesting content. So that's one. Two, you know, um, direct mail actually uh, is, is really, really strong for us. I think given that we have an account-based approach, anytime we can leverage, you know, Teen's book as an example to crack introductions with executives of other companies, it's just, uh, it's continued to, to pay for us. It's, it's simple, nothing super special about it, but I think you, you do have to pair it with the right content offer, right? I think it's not enough just to send, you know, a bottle of wine, right? I think it will re really see traction as we can do something attaching grabbing, but pair it with some meeting piece of content is, is a second. You know, our, our more holistic strategy is, you know, we want to send the executives the book, but we hope that maybe a greater portion of your company is also subscribed to our newsletter. Um, and now with the launch of subscribe.com, we hope that, you know, there's organic inbound coming in for other people who are reading that stuff. And then before you know it, they're all talking about, hey, did you read that article? Oh, no, I missed the article, but you see this chapter in the book or, you know, hey, by the way, let me forward you this email from 
from Teen on on his perspective on you know what, what happened with with Ford this week or whatever it might be, that creates organic discussion that we don't have to foster. Right, it just kind of happens on our own. But I would say the important thing is, you know, if you're going to do it, you, you got to commit to it. Right, you, you can't do superficial content because it's not interesting. There's so much competition out there now for mindshare and time in terms of what podcasts people listen to or what articles I'm going to read on the weekend that if you're going to go this route, like you got to invest, you have to have the right people, you got to have the right data, you got to have the right narrative that you want to attach yourself to. It's not enough to put out listicles and things like that to drive that conversation. So that's why we invest there. You know, and, and you asked for three, I'd say the third for us is anything that can give us what I'll call signals of what our target customers are doing. And so a couple examples of that might be, you know, G2 crowd that everybody knows, they'll, they'll give you signals and insights if someone's on their site researching your product category, or, you know, we're a customer of, of Sixth Sense, right? And there's lots of competitors out there in the same predictive space that'll kind of tell you, hey, you know, this company is spending time on your website and opening your emails. Um, you know, if, if we're targeting 10,000 customers in North America and we want our ZBRs to be doing outreach that's really targeted uh, and, and invest the time in doing really custom development of messages, it's important to aim that energy and that focus in places where we're already seeing smoke signals pop up. So, so anything we can invest in, it'll give us that intelligence on which companies are already paying attention to us. Suku Krishnaraj, CMO of Sumo Logic. You've probably already guessed uh, digital is definitely one uncuttable. And for all the reasons we talked about, not only for net new acquisition, but also driving brand loyalty and customer success. The second one I would say is on the enterprise segment, you know, again, account-based is also very buzzword, but it's really oriented towards going deeper into these accounts. We have a very sticky platform. Once you land on the platform, our customers expand rapidly. And it is not only within the same department, but also across departments. The cross-selling becomes super important for us. So that means that the, your ability working with sales to get deeper and wider into the account will determine the success for you in the long run. How quickly can you expand these accounts? And then the third one, I would say, look, uh, it ties back to digital. I would say it's the, it's the content. Buyers are all in a different stage, whether they're in the educational stage or whether they're in the consideration phase or decision. You need to be able to provide them with on-demand, just-in-time content to educate them and nurture them through this, through their journey. So it is easier said than done. I focus a lot on how does the framework fit in for us, for our customers, for our prospects, as we are trying to take the message out? What is the next relevant step, right? So content becomes key for us. So those three, I would say, are, are uncuttable. Sarah Kennedy, Vice President of Global Growth and Demand at Google Cloud. I mean, free trial and web, just how we use that. Is a, it should always be not even you know specific to a segment, but... SMB all the way up to enterprise, the, you know, our, our home base plays that role to help either educate, inform and progress deals or actually convert in many cases, developers who, by the way, I didn't mention, and I should, it's one of the most important personas, but biggest part of that buying decision is happening now with developer preference, driving at almost half of some of these companies' decision-making, because if you don't want people passionate about Google Cloud and, you know, using it already today, certified in it, 
it's a lot more difficult to make a decision about investing for the long haul. So that's really where we're focused a lot in driving developer engagement through that channel is big, big for us. You know, I would say also social is always and forever important. It's just changing what that actually means and how you leverage it. And I, um, that for us is there's been, I mean, the following across all channels where Google has played is significant, right? But strategically investing there and leveraging that is um, a big opportunity for us and probably everyone because that continues to evolve. And then maybe some of the tried and true, but more boring channels or tactics, content sin is forever and always, it's still a high performer for us as we're trying to drive new, at least new name acquisition. And it's a big part of our new logo acquisition motion. It is for most companies in our position. Um, It's just making sure you're partnering with the right partners to drive quality because that varies widely partner to partner. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.